0: Good morning, Fork. Oh, that was enthusiastic. Good morning, guys. How are you? Welcome back. Yay. I feel like I should start off with an apology, because I imagine most of you were probably expecting Pastor Josh to speak today. First day back inside in however long, and you get me. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, yeah, there you That's very, very kind. But to be clear, you made reservations for this. (laughs) Just like a restaurant, you reserved your spot, and you probably thought you could, like, get, you know, oh, I'm gonna get some filet mignon or some ribeye or something, and they bring out this chubby, cold bottom sirloin. (laughs) My apologies. But I am very excited, not only to be here in front of all of you guys, but for this message today, because uh, this is one that's very close to me and one that I've been thinking about a lot during this year, season, whatever you want to call it, of 2020, um, and it goes really well. This is uh, week three of our series, Christian, where we dig into what it really means to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. Now, Virgil started us off a couple of weeks ago, dropped a, a little nugget that I loved, that uh, I mentioned on the deep dive the following day, uh, that I was not aware of, that Christians. Back uh, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, Christians were referred to as the way. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating. I didn't know that. I still like that term, personally. (laughs) Josh uh, had one that he used last week that I thought was really good. He said, following Jesus, or being a Christian, is not just agreeing to a set of beliefs, but also to a way of life. So today, I really want to bring those two ideas together. And, look, I know that, you know, if you, if you saw the one sermon that I did or if you're a student of mine every Sunday morning or if you've seen any of the deep dives, I tend to bring up, like, movies and TV a lot to kind of connect things. And I didn't want to do that this time, but I feel like I would be ignorant if I didn't do it. So there's this TV show called The Mandalorian that's on television. It is a Star Wars show. Uh, I'm not trying to plug it or anything like that, but the new season does start on Friday. And, um, There is this saying that they have in that show. Uh, Much like the movies from a long time ago, there was like one phrase from Star Wars that everyone knew. It is, may the force be with you. And now for this TV show, there's this saying that everyone knows, and it is, this is the way. And I love that saying because it connects with what we're talking about this morning so well. This character, um, when he's like brought out of, you know, everything that's going on in the TV show, and he's uh, judged for what he believes. He's looked at differently for what he believes. He's persecuted for what he believes. Does any of this sound familiar? He reminds himself whenever he's facing all of that, this is the way. When he has his doubts and he feels like he shouldn't do Something just because it's noble or it's the right thing to do, and he thinks to himself, why can't I just look out for myself? Someone higher than him, like a mentor, will remind him, because this is the way. And it brings him right back to where he is, right back to why he's doing what he's doing. And that phrase, I feel like, is really, really applicable to today. This is the way. Following Jesus, being a Christian, is not just agreeing to a set of beliefs, but it is also the way. The Son of God came in the flesh, met us where we were, and wanted to be with us so that we could be with him. Being with him is the way of our life. It is the way. I think that's something that we can all agree on, but this way of being a Christian looks very different in 2020 than it has ever looked before. Because over the last eight months, I have seen... Friends, families, students, mentors of mine um, kind of break down a little bit because things are very, very confusing for them right now. Everything is really different. Um, This I mean, this year has a whole new meaning. What does being a Christian look like right now through this season of life? There's nothing I know Josh loves to say this is not a new normal. There's nothing normal about this season. I heard someone refer to it as a new reality. I prefer that. It's a new reality that we're all going to have to cope with. A lot of people have struggled during this season. I think that's safe to say. And based on all of the conversations that I've had with people, um, I think the term that you can relate how we're feeling right now, the the term you can relate that to better than anything else is probably grief. This feels a lot like grief. Grief. I, I don't think I'm jumping the shark by saying that, but if for anyone that has ever experienced grief before, you look at the, sen- you look at the similarities. We have lost um, our sense of normalcy. We have lost our sense of control. We have lost our certainty, our routine. We have lost security. If you're a parent, you have grieved the loss of your students having a normal social life, going to school and being with their friends. That's one way to look at it. Another way is you grieve your students at being in, sc- being in school so that you can have a normal life, one or the other. you know. <laughs> Either way, you're grieving. That's the point. Um, when it comes to grief and how you experience grief, there's always two sources that I go to. The first is a book by C.S. Lewis called A Grief Observed. Great book that he wrote when he was grieving the loss of his wife to cancer. He never meant for it to be published, but his son published it, and... I I have read that a couple times, and I find that to be, like, very comforting. There's also this author named David Kessler. Uh, David Kessler is the founder of a website called grief.com. Straight to the point. He's also written a couple of books on grief with such exciting titles as grief. (laughs) And on grief and grieving. And then finally, finding meaning. The sixth stage of grief. A lot about grief. This man has made grief his entire life. And the one quote that he has that I feel like sort of applies to what we're experiencing, if you want to compare it to grief, is that understanding the stages of grief is a start, but the stages are not always linear. Okay? And to be fair, people don't always experience all of the stages. So I'm going to go through the five real quick because... I have spoken to people that have experienced all five during this season. I've spoken to people who have experienced one of the five. And there's a chance that you or someone in your family is one of these five. So we'll start off with denial, right? This virus is not real. What's going on in the world right now, it's not serious. It is not as serious as people say it is. It's going to go away soon. Denial. What about anger? The government has taking away my life right now. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to live with this. They're going to try to make me stay home. Fat chance. Third one is my personal favorite. Bargaining. That was me. If I social distance for two weeks, I can go and do whatever I want, right? Do you remember when this whole thing was going to be two weeks? <laughs> and it's here we are eight months later. Sadness: I'm so depressed. I want to see my family. I want to see my friends. I want to go on a vacation. I want to lay on a beach without a face mask. I just want things to be normal again, but I have no idea when any of this is going to end. And then lastly, acceptance, which is where I feel like most people probably are right now. I'm going to have to learn to live with this. I'm going to have to learn to deal. And I'm going to have to be patient until this starts to pass by as slowly as that happens. We know these stages of grief. So how do we proceed? And the answer of how we proceed was given to us by Jesus thousands of years ago. It's an invitation. And all that we have to do is accept that invitation. Uh, it applies no matter what the circumstances in life are, no matter what year it is, no matter what pandemic is going on. The answer is how you be a Christian in the 21st century. in a time when it feels like so many things are out of our control, Jesus has handed us something that we absolutely can control. That if we follow his word that I'm going to lay out this morning, we will bear fruit and we will be joyful about it. So whether you're here with us this morning or you're watching from home, hello everyone that's watching from home, Jesus extends this offer that Christians have followed for over a millennium no matter what their circumstances were. And given the circumstances that we face now, this offer is no different today. So if you have a Bible, or if you have a Bible app and you would like to open up to this, we are going to be in the book of John. And I'm going to do chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. says this, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. There's a lot in there to take in. Um, But there was one word that you guys probably noticed because it was spoken 10 times, 10 times in 11 verses, and that's the word remain, okay? Okay. Other translations have it as abide, and I prefer that one because I'm a big Lebowski fan. Abide in me. Ten times. It's almost like there's something that he wants us to do. You know? Abide in me. Abiding is the way. The Greek word for abide is meno. Okay? If you're watching from home, you can actually look this up and figure out, like, you know, how it relates to this. Meno. m-e-n-o. And it, remain, it, it, it basically translates to either remain or loiter or my favorite, hang out. And that one's perfect for students and when you're speaking to students. As a youth pastor, I prefer hang out. Because basically what that means is if you want to abide in Jesus, if you want to remain in Jesus, you have to hang out with Jesus. You can't just go to Jesus when it's convenient to you. You have to hang out with them. You have to spend time with them. That's the solution. So that's our invitation to the solution. You abide in me, you will bear fruit, and you'll be joyful. Now, some of us hear that and we think, oh, okay, abide. Yeah, that's no big deal. That's not a problem. But that's the thing is it is a problem. It's a problem for us as humans, as Christians. We have a serious problem with abiding. There are people that come here on Sundays and the way that they are in here is completely different from how they are out there. There are people that wear the name Christian when they're here and they're ashamed of it when they're away from here. Does that make sense? There are people that will come in here and they'll visit on a Sunday. And then that literally that makes them visitors. And we can't expect them to abide. They need to learn how to abide. This is interesting because he's not talking about evangelism. We're not talking about preaching to people who are not Christian. At this point in time, he's with his disciples. He's already speaking to his followers. They already follow him. He's not trying to get them saved. He's trying to teach them how to be better Christians, how to live a better Christian life. And the way that they need to do that is they need to abide. And then they will bear fruit. Now, bear fruit, that's another one that I love. Because I bet if I ask any five people in this room what bear fruit means, I'm going to get five different answers. Because a lot of people don't really get it. Bear fruit. No, it doesn't mean have children. It doesn't mean be sweeter. Because fruit is sweet. You know. It's kind of like Christianese. Have you guys ever heard that term before? There are things that we as Christians say to each other that make no sense to other people who are not Christian. And we say it anyway. There are things that we say to each other that make no sense to other Christians. But it's a phrase that is used so often by Christians that it's just kind of become part of the rotation and we lose sight of what it actually meant. And I'm afraid that bear fruit might be one of those. Here's a few others. Lean into the word. What? Like lean into the word, you know? Or uh, one of my favorites in the youth group that our students use entirely too much is piggyback. Oh, I want to piggyback off of what he said. Hey, if I can, can I piggyback off of what she said? I just want to piggyback off of your piggyback, of her piggyback, if you don't mind. It gets old. I like, I've been wrestling with a lot of doubt in my life. As a wrestling fan, I visualize it, and I'm like, oh, have you been wrestling with a lot of doubt in your life? Did you give it the stunner, or did you tap out to doubt? (laughs) There's so many of them. Among my favorites are all of the ways that we say no, because we can't just say no as Christians. We have to think of something creative, like, hey, would you be free to do this? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to pray on this, and I'll get back to you. That's a great one. I want to, but I'm just waiting on the Lord right now. And then there's like, I don't think it's God's will. No, I'm not sure. I would love to volunteer for the student ministry, but I feel like God's just telling me to rest in this season of life. We've got creative ways for no. We need to bear fruit. So we need to understand what that means. So let's define it. What does it mean to be fruitful as a follower of Christ? Jesus is talking about a productive Christian life. A life that is growing in the character of Christ, bringing glory to God, and a life that benefits others. Okay? Those are three different things. I'm going to hit on those a few times, just in different ways. A life that's growing in the character of Christ, bringing glory to God, and a life that benefits others. So if I'm bearing fruit in my life, I'm being a better husband. I'm being a better father. Um, I am being a faithful follower of Jesus. I am a purpose-driven employee at my job. I am being loving and forgiving to friends and to family. I have more self-control over the things that take me away from being fruitful. And then ultimately, I'm going to live a more peaceful life. So if you're being fruitful as a follower of Jesus, then you're looking more and more like Jesus, not less. You give more and more glory to God, not yourself. And your life benefits other people more, not less. There's a few things that you could say about fruit that parallel directly with being a Christian. And I'm trying to think of how to word these because I messed this up at the 9 a.m. Like, a fruit will directly bear resemblance to where it grew from. Okay? So, basically what that means is an apple tree, or an apple comes from an apple tree. Right? An orange comes from an orange tree. A grape comes from a grapevine. If you're a Christian, you will resemble Jesus. Because that's what you're rooted in no matter what year it is or what situation you're going through in life. Here's another one. Fruit always exists to benefit someone else. An apple grows to be eaten, to be consumed. I'll take it a step farther and say fruit exists to benefit other, someone other than themselves. So if an apple exists for the person that consumes it, likewise, if we were being fruitful, other people are getting a lot out of us as Christians. Does that make sense? That that faith that we're learning everything that we know about Jesus, we're not keeping that to ourselves. We are sharing that with other people. Fruit does not exist to exist on its own. You know what you call that? A fruit that eats itself rotten. Nature has a much tougher term for it than people do. We just prefer the term selfish. Last parallel about fruit is that fruit can always be seen. Now, I really wanted this sermon to be accurate, so I did a lot of research into this, honestly. And after about like an hour and a half, I can tell you there's no such thing as an invisible or translucent fruit. Okay? It felt like a day wasted. But there is no invisible fruit. Fruit can be seen by everybody. That means if you're a Christian, we can see it. Does that make sense? If you're a Christian, we can see it. And we'll see the fruit of your life. Going back a little bit, verse 8 says, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. A lot of Christians, they just want a giving God. They, they don't think that much about giving glory to God. But Christians need to abide in Jesus if they want to bear fruit. So everything that I have explained to this point begs one question. How? How do we do this? How do we abide? How do we bear fruit? Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Other translations say, but I press on to take hold of that perfection. Take hold of Jesus. That's what's important. That's the challenge. Because as humans, we have a really hard time taking hold of anything. I have a five-year-old daughter who's staring at the ceiling right now. Hi, Macy. She's lost so many toys (laughs) because she doesn't know how to keep them, how to take hold of them. I remember the first time she lost a balloon, which I'm sure everyone in here did when they were kids. That balloon that you have that you hold in your hand and then you just kind of loosen that grip a little bit and it floats into the sky forever. I remember her sobbing. She doesn't remember this. She doesn't care. She's already back on her iPad. But I have to live with the memory of her sobbing. (laughs) We have a hard time keeping hold of things. It's not just children. Students are just as bad. A couple years ago, I had a girl um, on one of our outings at an amusement park think it would be smart to take a video of herself on a roller coaster (laughs) on her phone. First hill going down. (laughs) Phone is gone. Never to be seen again. She didn't keep hold of it. We had a kid last summer leave his suitcase in the lobby of our hotel at summer camp because he didn't keep hold of it. He didn't care about the things that were in there. They weren't important to him, I guess. Don't worry, we found it, and we made him carry it around for the rest of the day as as, as embarrassment, as public humiliation. But he didn't keep hold of it. That's children, that's students. Adults are just as bad. I would have used my wife as an example, but she wouldn't let me, so I had to look up an example online Um, of ways that adults don't take hold of things. And the example that I found, I thought was probably the funniest example by far that I could find um, of a couple of guys that bought a beach ball to take to the beach with them, but this beach ball was like 12 feet tall, okay? And if they really cared about it, they probably would have kept it. But instead, this is the review. We took this ball to the beach, and after close to two hours to pump it up, we pushed it around for about ten fun-filled minutes. That's when the wind picked up and sent it huddling down the beach at about 40 knots. It destroyed everything in its path. (laughs) Children screamed in terror as the giant inflatable monster that crushed their sandcastles. Grown men were knocked down trying to save their families. The faster we chased it, the faster it rolled. It's like it was mocking us. Eventually, we had to stop running after it because its path of injury and destruction was going to cost us a fortune in legal fees. Rumor has it it can still be seen stalking innocent families on the Florida panhandle. We lost it in South Carolina, so there is something to be said about its durability. That's why I got two stars instead of one. Adults are just as bad, taking hold of things we're not that good at. Things that are important to us, keys, phone, wallet, whatever... We just kind of slip it into our pocket and we take it out when we need it. That is not how our relationship with Jesus should be. Not something that we just put into our pocket and take out when things are going rough and we happen to need a savior. This is something that we should be taking hold of. If it's a priority, you take hold of it. The illustration is quite clear that if we're taking hold of Jesus, Jesus is the one that does all of the work in bearing fruit. Our job is just to take hold of him. Our job is just to be a branch. The best thing about being a branch is that our only job is to stay connected to the vine. That's it. Just stay connected to him and then fruit automatically happens. What's happening right now in times like this, and the whole reason that I even brought up 2020 and the pandemic, because I'm kind of tired of talking about it myself. The only reason I brought it all up today is because... What I'm seeing on Facebook with some of your comments and your statuses, but really just with anybody around the world, is we are trying to take hold onto something and it's not working. Because anything that we're taking hold of in this season that is not Jesus is not going to work. Because any sense of normalcy that we had back in February is gone now. School is different Work is different. Stocks are different. Sports are different. Everything is different. And we beg for this normalcy that we used to have. And that's the problem. We were holding on to these things that were never meant to be held on to. We need to be holding on to Jesus through seasons like this. And if we did that, those other things are going to be like the beach ball, like the luggage, like the balloon, it's sad for a minute, but it doesn't matter that much ultimately because we know what really does matter. As we yearn for things to go back to normal, sometimes we realize that we're holding on to the wrong things. A good reminder for that comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27, and it says, This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain unshakable things. What is unshakable in all of this? What is never changing? What is never ending? And shouldn't that be what we're investing our lives in? Shouldn't that be what we're taking hold of? Shouldn't that be the way? In context, as we should do, I, I really want to highlight why this is so important. This was uh, chapter 15, chapter 15. In John chapter 14 ends with um, Jesus saying this last sentence to his disciples he says rise and let us go from here which by itself does not make that much sense but that's how chapter 14 ends with Jesus saying like let's leave where we're at right now and we'll move on from here where were they at that point in time they were at the last supper So they were leaving the Last Supper. They were leaving the upper room in Jerusalem. And the rest of the Gospels tell us that the next place that Jesus and his disciples land at is the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Judas has him arrested. And we know what happened from there. So this is literally the last message that he gives to his disciples. That makes it feel a little more important, doesn't it? And the last sentence of that message is, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. We must abide so that we can be joyful. Ultimately, our joy will overflow. It will be his joy in us. There's so many things in our lives that we cannot control right now. This year has been evidence of that. But John chapter 15 shows Jesus handing us something that we can control. If we choose to, we just have to make that choice. If we do that, his joy will be in our lives. His joy that shines through regardless of year, regardless of circumstance, regardless of change. His joy will be our joy and then our joy will be complete. This is a new reality and new realities require rules or guidelines, but Jesus just gave us the best guideline through all of this. It tells us how to bear fruit, how to be joyful, and as 21st century Christians, all we need to do is abide in him. That is the way.